these are good coffees. <laughs> wow, this coffee's strange. <laughs> Never heard of no roast before. Yeah. Looks kind of clear. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just thought we'd want to try it out. At least the cafe is pretty cozy, you know. Yeah. Oh, guys, there you are. I'm so excited. I have picked an amazing movie for us to talk about this week. Oh, cool. Uh, that's good because we were just sitting here sipping coffee like normal people, uh, not really saying much. So Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I felt like this is a perfect time to cut in. Yeah, so it's a Tollywood movie, and it's just wild. It's about these two Indian freedom fighters. They're like these two badass superhero freedom fighters. Oh, you know, that's such a tired trope. Give me a good indie movie any day where you just have this lone action hero who saves the day all on their own. Like, they either save the president or save the White House from being blown up. Something creative like that. Yeah, someone who feels tormented and completely estranged from humanity, so they spend their entire life helping humanity. <laughs> Okay, well, how about this? These two guys have this amazing friendship. Like, they are so close and so bonded and completely committed to each other. It's like the ultimate bromance. Oh, yeah. And I bet they're complete opposites, but completely complement each other too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've heard that one a thousand times before. When are we going to finally get the story of a, a male and a female person... Just falling in love for no reason that you can see. That's why it's so magical. There's no explanation. Still just sipping my coffee. Takes a bite of coffee. <laughs> okay, well, I know you guys are going to love the action sequences. They're just out of this world. They're the scene where one of the heroes pours blood on himself, starts getting chased by a wolf runs through the woods, runs into a tiger, and then gets chased while the tiger is chasing the man and the wolf. It is just unbelievable. It's wild. Oh, God. I mean, we've seen that so many times. Give me a good art house film where, you know, we see something we've never seen before, where they actually will push the boundaries. Like, say, whatever, two cars chasing each other through city streets. Come on. Yeah, maybe throw a motorcycle in there, too. Maybe jumping from rooftop to rooftop of moving car. Yeah, see, something we've never seen before. All right, well, then I guess you guys won't care about the song and dance battles that take place in the middle of the movie for no explicable reason where the heroes sing narrative versions of the story and compete against their foes while performing sweet dance moves. Wait, that actually sounds sick. Oh, I'm done. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, that actually sounds amazing. I'm, I'm down to watch this now. Oh, sweet. Well, then let's go do it. Sweet. Pushes aside coffee noodles and mashed coffee.
Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm here with my heroic co-hosts. I'm Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm a tiger that just was looking for a meal, but then I kind of got distracted by chasing this one guy because he smelled like anger. Oh, wow. And uh, Tigers can smell anger? Yeah. He got me all riled up. Yeah, there's a lot you don't know about us tigers, just so you know. Oh, can you tell me some of it? Uh, No, because I would be giving away all of our secrets. Okay, but you can tell me the anger thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then keep your secrets. Uh, you know, I, I got caught, but then later I was able to cause some sweet chaos for the English. With your tiger magic? Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. You know, I actually saw that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was actually there for that. My name is Jack Olander. I use any pronouns, any all pronouns. And, uh, any I, and all. Yes. I was, uh, one of the guards there, but I've really been reevaluating my line of work because, uh, there were a lot of crazy animals. Sorry, no offense. Just running around wreaking uh, havoc. None taken. I mean, it is what we love to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I saw some some fighters on both sides doing crazy spins through the air with fire and water flying around. Lots of uh, chains being used as improvised weapons. Uh, you know, it's just... Uh, I, I signed up for an acrobatics class after that fight just because I really felt underqualified for the position. Yeah, I can see that. You felt like you needed to kind of up your game? Yeah, I've been getting leg warmers and stretching a lot. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, guys, we're here to talk about a movie. And this month, we're doing international movies. Yeah. And to kick it off, we are doing our first ever Tollywood film R R R. Woo! <laughs> this is a Telugu language film. Uh, it was released in India this uh, last year, and it has kind of blown up here in the states on a popular streaming service. And we watched it and had an amazing time, and we want to talk about it. It was over three hours long, but. I, One of the few negatives for the film, yeah, in my opinion. But I was here for it the entire time. I actually was super engaged. Like, they've got something figured out. <laughs> there were probably some parts they could have cut, but no part felt like it was excessive or uh, like it did not add something. So, yeah. fantastic. Guys, real quick, you know what adds something to our podcast? What, Jamie? Oh, please tell us. It's our patrons. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something else I would be editing every week. <laughs> no, not at all. You mean something new to edit, like this sweet theme song, compared to our old theme song, which both will play right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, that might be very confusing. We should probably just stick to the new one. Oh, that makes sense. That our patrons helped us get. Yeah, thanks, guys. And, you know, if you're not already a patron and you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire to sign up. 
You get some sweet bonus episodes. You get to vote on movies, including the international film we're going to be watching in two weeks that we don't know what it's going to be yet because the patrons haven't voted on it. And it's the best way to get in touch with us and let us know what movies you'd like us to watch. Hell yeah. I mean, we appreciate the support, but it's also fun to share some of our other fun creative projects with you uh, through that service. That's right. But enough gloating about our amazing patrons. Why don't we do a quick summary of RRR? So one good way to describe this movie is a three hour long music video uh, about pre-independent India that's occupied by the English and two superheroes helping everyone rise up against their oppressors. Sounds right to me. Yeah. Also a ton of production logos. Right. At the beginning. <laughs> Like, more than I think we've ever seen for any film. There are also chapters and headings that all use the R. That's right. I actually wanted more of those chapters. It made yeah. it really convenient for taking notes, but they only did it in the beginning. Yeah, yes. I know. They did story, water, fire, and one other one. Then it was just RRR. So right. that was like when the movie actually began. Yeah, I think so. After we met the, uh, the After principal After the first characters. hour, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think it was like 30 minutes, but yeah. But so the story is that there is a small community of people that live in this village that's kind of more to closely tied to nature. They live in a forested area. They're very closely bonded to one another. And there are English oppressors coming into their land. Classic English move. Boo, by the way. Ooh. But these people are very peaceful folk, and so they don't resist, even though they don't like seeing all of these deer from their woodlands being killed. Um, but they're, they're accommodating of this heinous couple. And uh, there's one girl who's even doing henna art for the woman. And singing a beautiful song. Yes, yes. it was very enchanting. And then they abduct the little girl and just throw two coins to the mom. And the little girl's name is Molly, and her mother's name is Loki, Oh, is cool. <laughs> so, this is the impetus to drive the rest of the film. This is the catalyst, right? That's right. This what, one of? One of them. This abduction. Yeah, we learn of another one later. This is the but, catalyst for the character Beam. Yes. He is kind of... Jack, would you like to describe Beam? Oh, Beam? Well... He's your classic Enkidu type of fellow, right? That's right. He's a man of the wilderness, part divine, part man. And uh, <laughs> Oh, he's all divine. He's all divine. And he's kind of protector of the forest, but also this one group of people in particular. That's right. He's from this tribe. He's at one with nature and the shepherd of the tribe's people. Yes. That's right. That's right. And he will never rest until his flock is protected under his care that's, that's right. right and that's how it's described in the film too when one of the sheep goes away the shepherd must follow and bring it back that's right 
And so he sets out on a quest to go save Molly and bring her back to her people, which takes him into Delhi. And when he's there, he also meets another character named Raju, also sometimes called Ram as a nickname. And Raju, we've seen some of his backstory. So I want to say real quick, Beam is associated with the symbol of water and uh, Raju is associated with the symbol of fire in this film. So Raju is a soldier in the English army. Boo! And he's self, one of the many of like English born or Indian born soldiers in the English army stationed around Delhi and the provinces around there. And all of the Indian born people that are in the army are seen as traitors by others because they're helping the oppressors. They're self-policing. And he seems like another superhero. He's a part of civilization. How would you describe it, Jack? Oh, he's your real tyrant Gilgamesh type. It's true. (laughs) He goes out and he breaks people. That's right. And he seems to help oppress them for the English. That's right. He has no problem leaping into a crowd of protesters and just getting his whacking stick and whacking them off. (laughs) Yeah. He's unfortunately quite good at it, too. Yes. Yeah, and you feel very conflicted because Raju goes undercover to find the son of the Gons, who's the shepherd for these forest people. He doesn't know it's Beam at first, and he was basically commissioned by the governor and the governor's wife. Those are the people that abducted Molly. Governor played by beloved character actor Ray Stevenson. From, yes. From Rome and also the amazing film Punisher Warzone. Right. Um, so he's commissioned by them to go find Beam so that they can't take Molly back. So he goes undercover, starts meeting up with people, starts trying to subtly question people and like entrap different people, trying to get closer to this figure he knows is hiding out in Delhi somewhere but he doesn't know what he looks like. Um, Eventually, he and Beam meet and have this really great friendship. I I believe that when two best friends meet like this, it's called a meet-cute. Yeah, it's true. Theirs is on a bridge. Oh, we'll we'll talk about that scene. It's amazing. (laughs) Like many meet-cutes, it's on a bridge, actually. (laughs) And um, they help support each other. They are... The yin to each other's yang, fire and water, mixing together in an amazing concoction. And we get a sweet montage of them hanging out and, like, becoming best buds. Yeah. Raju helps Beam get close to this woman, Jenny, that he's got a crush on. and Great um, wingman, Raju mm -hmm. is. It's so difficult because it's, like, that's juxtaposed with all the work he's doing as a cop. Or as an enforcer. And it's hard because like in his friendship with Beam, he really seems to come alive. And you, it really starts to humanize the character of Raju. But then it's like, but he's the antagonist. What's happening? Yes. Yeah, it's very conflicted early on when we have this, like you said, a juxtaposition of Raju like assaulting these protesters. But then building this bond with Beam. It's like, what's going on here? Then we find out. Raju's backstory and 
as it was leading up to it, and he was getting access to all these guns and being entrusted with that, I was like, wait a minute, is he a spy? And then it turns out we got his backstory, yes! Well, he's a double agent. Yeah, basically a double agent. I was like, oh my god. He's trying to commit super hard to being this loyal soldier for the English to get access to all these guns so that he can betray the oppressors and hand out the guns to the people to help them rise up against the English. He wants to put weapons in the hand of every Indian. That's right. He comes from a small village that was violently oppressed by English troops and... His father was like the... Basically the local resistance leader. Yes. And he was training people in the village to rise up against the English. Yay. He was killed and so was... Raju's mother and brother. Boo. Yeah. And so he has this drive that fuels his passion so much so that he will sacrifice everything to like maintain his facade to the point where when Beam tries to get into the basically palace that the governor lives in to save Molly and he gets in in this really amazing way during like a a pageant. And Some he, kind of gala? Yeah. He brings in all these wild animals to cause chaos among the troops. He gets really far in. He's been fighting with Raju because this is when Raju reveals that he's a soldier. And Raju's still trying to maintain his cover. He almost gets to Molly, but then Raju arrests him because he's worried that his best friend is going to upset all of his plans he's been working for for 15 years. And Raju's very conflicted about this. There is also the incentive that if he turns in Beam, he will get the promotion of special officer. That's right. And what does that include? Access to the guns. That's right. Everything he's been working toward. So he sacrifices his friendship. It's very sad. Yeah. And um, Beam is publicly tortured. Oh, yeah. At the hands of Raju who's like trying to commit super hard to this cover story. And so he beats his best friend publicly and it's a very difficult scene, but Beam starts singing in the middle and it's it's very heartwarming. We can talk more about that later. Yeah. And he inspires other people. That's right. He inspires a riot amongst yeah. the, the populace against the English. Yay! Yeah. But he's taken away. He's gonna be executed and Raju realizes he can't keep sacrificing everything that's important to him personally for this goal of national independence and so he uses what little influence he he's gained to change the place that Beam was going to be executed so that he can orchestrate an escape and so he brings Molly and he helps them escape while he himself is captured so in the end, uh, Beam meets Sita, Raju's fiance. Betrothed. Mm-hmm. She informs him that Raju was actually trying to free the Indian people this whole time and that he was an undercover agent. And That's when Beam has his own crisis of conscience. Yeah, and he realizes that he helped him escape and that he's still his friend, and so he goes back to free him. 
There's this amazing prison escape with the two of them. <laughs> it's just one of the greatest scenes ever filmed in cinema. I was almost on sensory overload with how great it was. <laughs> and um, they have this like level up sequence and when they fight in the forest and they kind of attain their final form as superheroes they fight against all these english troops and take down the governor and his wife and like dismantle their entire palace with explosives (laughs) the english are kicked out of india never to return yeah and uh there's another music video at the end to kind of celebrate their victory. <laughs> yeah, you need that to kind of have the catharsis from the rest of the movie. And we get to see Molly being returned to her mother and their people. And it's a happy ending. Wow, that was a flawless summary. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the delve where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of RRR. So guys, we've already said this is a three-hour movie. It is jam-packed. There's so much to talk about. But why don't we start with melodrama in film? Specifically this film. This is my first, uh, I was going to say Bollywood, but I guess Tollywood movie. That's right. And I realized that looking at clips as i have from bollywood movies that which are similar it does them a disservice because when you watch these scenes in context of the film while it does seem like everything is exaggerated as it would be in melodrama um it is so much fun to watch and in the context of the movie it really fits really well and It just feels right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that when you're watching maybe a clip from a movie like this, it might seem like this ridiculous, over-the-top action sequence or whatever. Without the context, watching it as part of the story from the entire film, you really see where it's like it's building a mythology. It's part of this heightened sense of realism where action is enhanced and just like brought up to these new levels of excitement you could almost say that the action and emotion are turned up to 11 you could definitely and since the two main characters are inspired by medieval or ancient heroes that type of storytelling often included like larger than life feats and abilities and emotions it's sort of the job of those kind of heroes to like push the limits of humanity and like force themselves into situations of calamity. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because the characters are both inspired by mythological and real people. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this interesting blending of real and fantastical, even in the structure of the movie that works really well, I think. Yeah. It was a creative thought experiment to see if these two were actually to meet, what would happen? Yeah. And then they... Uh, just ran with that and didn't hold back. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, another one of our favorite, probably I'd say underappreciated performers, Nicolas Cage, often is also taken out of context, right? He has these powerful scenes in a movie like Mandy and the scene of him like drinking in the bathroom and screaming has been used as this clip of like, oh, look how un 
unhinged cages in this movie. But if you see in the movie, it's like, no, he just lost the love of his life, like right before his eyes. In a very terrible way. In a terrible way. What you see the character doing in that moment makes a lot of sense in the context. It's very much similar here where these action sequences, they feel exciting and over the top, but they don't feel out of place or overdone when you're watching it in the film. It is ultimate wish fulfillment, like the levels of action that we see and the feats that the characters are able to perform. But... I don't think it's any more outlandish than other superhero films that we've seen. Yeah, actually, a lot of the time when we were watching this, I was thinking of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Totally. Nobody is, like, blown away that these guys are doing things like carrying one another on their shoulders and, like, doing acrobatic backflips through the air and knocking people out of guard towers. Like... (laughs) They they might be impressed by the feats, but it's not like seeing it like how we would react in real life if we saw a human being doing that. Yeah. Worship. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. It was great in the scene you're describing. That was part of the prison escape at near the end. Yeah. And um <laughs> up to that point we had seen that Beam always kind of worked out his legs. And so he was the bottom. <laughs> he was the legs. <laughs> no, I like, I like where you went. Yeah, yeah. You and um, Raju's legs were injured as part of like the torture he was un- uh, undergoing when he was in prison, but he was chained up and he was able to do like pull-ups with the chains in his What's arms. this move? Were you so, pulling your arms out? Yeah. <laughs> so his guns were uh, of a godly caliber. So you're saying Raju was the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. This all track. And so Beam was able to run around and Raju was able to dual-wield rifles, one in each <laughs> That's hand. That's right. And, and Beam would like people. reload for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Amazing. It's also great that like 10 minutes later, Raju gets the use of his legs back. Like he just needed a quick break. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like melodrama to show that even like their friendship and synchronicity are blown up to 11 too. Yeah. They're perfectly in harmony. They don't need to communicate to know that they can just like mecha combine into one being. That's right. (laughs) That reminds me. Of the bridge scene when they meet. The meet cute. When there's a child in danger in the water, a train, an oil train has just exploded and there's fiery debris surrounding a child barely staying afloat. And Raju is on the bridge on a horse and he wants to save this kid. And he looks out across the water and he sees a, a lone silhouette standing in front of a crowd in the distance and they wave to each other across the distance and they know that they're both going to save this they're kid. They're both men of action. They yes. can see the divinity within each other. Yes. That is what it felt like. It felt like they just they their souls locked. And so Beam gets a motorcycle and they ride up to the bridge and they with just like hand gestures yeah. at what they're going to do. They don't talk. It's just hand gestures. They get two ends of this long rope, and with the horse and motorcycle, they ride at each other and swerve at the last second and jump off the bridge. On the opposite side. Now, I want to point out, Raju grabs an Indian flag 
and yes. waves it as part of this rescue attempt. That's right. And very as, symbolic. As yes. they swing down, one of them <clears throat> grabs the boy and they do a handoff of the boy and the Indian flag trading items. Which is the flag has now been dipped in water to act as a flame retardant. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Raju brings the boy to safety and Beam wraps himself in the flag so as he swings through the flames, he comes out unharmed. And then they catch each other by clasping wrists and they hold each other there safely and they laugh triumphant and happy. (laughs) And the movie somehow only gets better from that scene forward. And then they go to a party and they're like the center stage and they're dancing together and they're it's obvious they're best friends. They were best friends from the moment they saw each other. That's right. Also, and that was when there was like a scene change before they go to the party. And that's when they say, like, say the last chapter, RRR. That's right. Yes. And um, it really feels like parts of Greek theater to me because these chapters and the things they do really feel like almost like showing their feats, like the feats of Hercules, like different stories all encapsulated in one film well and not just that there's literally a chorus yes there the the music in the songs there are people singing about raju and beam and like telling their story and saying like these two men are best friends they're going to fight together but they also have secrets like yeah that might put them at odds with each other the song is telling the story like in a greek play where the chorus is telling the audience things that they probably already know, actually, but like filling out the story. Yeah. Because uh, you know, a lot of times these stories are timeless, right? They might be retold and changed over time. So the chorus kind of acts as both a reminder and as like a way to fill in little details just to make sure that the audience is playing along with the story. Yeah. And the stories that were told in Greek theater often would include mythological heroes and the gods so this really feels like it's part of that tradition too yes they are like mythological figures superheroes it's true well one of the characters we've already said is inspired by rama but we never actually explained who rama is why don't you uh let listeners who are not up to date on their hindu mythology know who rama is one of the uh probably the most popular story from hinduism is the ramayana with Rama in it. Rama is the seventh avatar of the Hindu holy trinity figure Vishnu, the preserver of the universe. Nice. So, naturally, he's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> he's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Famed for his archery, his statues are always shown to have bows and arrows, which they make use of in this film. That's right. Yeah, it's like, it really felt like a gift from the gods. Yeah, totally. And I loved how you described that as like their level up power ups. (laughs) Yes. Because Ram, Raju... Yeah. His nickname is Ram, yeah. which he is the Rama character, so it yeah. makes sense. He's been wounded, and Beam tears down the holy cloths that are around the statue, right. the orange cloths, and he binds Ram's wounds with them. And Ram turns them into the sick orange iconic pants, yeah. which are like traditional. He has his beard and hair grown out from prison. <laughs> He's shirtless with the holy threads. Yeah. And so, and then he has the bow. 
and he has the third eye. He really looks like an avatar of the gods. It, they were just like, what if we made the subtle allusion to Rama just of, uh, what if we just made him Rama, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. A, a lot of times in American cinema, we might put a value on subtlety, but that is not a cross-cultural uh, preference. It's pretty clear that Indian cinema is very much about big, explicit melodrama, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it is in your face that this character, and, you know, of course, uh, in India, the story of Rama will be well, very well known. This character is very much, you know, that avatar, like you guys said. Even the two main actors have Ram and Rama in their names, in their real life names. It's true. And uh, to compare it to, like, some Western media, like in our intro, it was very much like seeing him put on the Iron Man suit for the first time, right? <laughs> yes. It, it's just like that, yeah. this is why we came here today. We finally get it. I didn't want it to be subtle. It no. It's way better this way. And Beam also gets, like, almost this holy spear to yes. help him fight. Yes, which is great. And we mentioned earlier... Both of them are represented with fire and water. Yes. Yes. And in this scene, in the well, in every fight scene they're involved in, the fire and water are constantly around these two yeah, characters, using them as weapons by like using a torch as a club or like using a flailing hose as a flail. Right. Right. And there, it. This is a symbol of messages that we get throughout the film through dialogue too it's reinforced that opposites can come together and kind of flesh out each other's weaknesses and build up each other's strengths and i think that's part of the idea right definitely but R rom's flaming arrows and yes. then the spear beam is hiding in a river and the soldiers are gathering around, and as he comes out and stabs with the spear, it's always, like, cloaked in this wreath of water that right. he's stabbing. Yeah. And a spear is one of the more efficient weapons you can use underwater. That's right. Did you guys notice, also, with Rama, how in this fight scene, the flames actually, like, create a wall that will open up? Yes. And Raju can, like, fire his arrows, and then they close back in, almost as if the fire is concealing him and following his own will, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's just it responds amazing. To him. He also has some kind of preternatural sense for catching flaming objects that are flying through the air yes, and being able to right. use them as weapons. He catches like flaming torches. Yeah. They'll be like flying by him from behind and he'll just reach his arm out and clasp it without turning his head to see the projectile. Yeah. He has like so, spider senses for fire. Yeah. Fire senses. You're exactly right. And it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to touch on that opposite thing you mentioned, Cass, also. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I talk a lot about the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, just because yeah. I, I like it a lot. It's another ancient demigod story like this. It it also has a bromance and a buddy between two opposite characters. Yeah. And Gilgamesh is the one is the character who represents civilization and Enkidu like the innocence and beauty of the wilderness, which is exactly shown with these characters as well, at least in the first half of the film. Right. Raju is the 
one who is using the tools of civilization to fight the oppression, That's right? That's right. He is making lots of sacrifices to climb the ladder, uh, sacrificing the people he is trying to help. Yes, which he laments at certain points in the movie. Yes, and Beam is just living the life he's always known in a, like, city setting. He still is extending all that knowledge. He hasn't really changed. Right. He's from a pre-industrial culture. So it's he is true. having to adapt to this new world. But he's doing it very well. He, for the most part, shows up and his purity of heart is what inspires Raju to change his perspective later in the story. It's true. When Beam is being whipped publicly... He won't. He refuses to kneel at the whipping post to the that's oppressors, right. which is a great scene. Oh, so powerful! Yeah, and that's what inspires the crowd to riot against the English. Partly, it's also the song he sings. That's well, yeah. right. Just his determination. A child of the forest is the song that he sings. Yes, and it's and awesome. It's also like an inspirational song for himself to remind him where he comes from and the people that he belongs to. Because Raju is doing what he's doing for that exact same reason. But because Beam having the same motivations and through his defiance inspires the crowd to riot, Raju is like, wait a minute. My whole job is to put weapons in the hands of the people. But through his song and his defiance, he turned the people into weapons anyway with just the song, right? Yeah, he inspired the passion in their hearts to the cause. Which is so sick. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, touching on your opposites thing, too, while Raju is lamenting how he is kind of stuck to his guns to get the guns. Yes. Later on, (laughs) when Sita tells Beam about Raju's plan to arm the people, Beam laments his own inability to see the bigger picture and says, oh, I've been so focused on helping my sister, which is good, but I have not been looking at ways that I could help all Indian people. That's, and I'm really glad you caught that because uh, for most of it, like I said, I feel like Beam was the one bringing the wise perspective to Raju, but I thought that was cool when Beam gets to see... Not that he's ignorant or anything, but he gets to see the value of, like, oh, civilization is, like, there are are more than just myself and my close people around me. There are many people in this world, and I can help them with this, right? Yeah, it's kind of taking, learning to take a wider lens and how that can be just as valuable as taking a like a close lens um so like thinking about the local and the global so to speak yeah exactly and so that's why when they come together they work so perfectly yeah. after yeah. that they complement each other and in that way they are still like gilgamesh and enkidu right because in the myth they both kind of learn something from one another and change their ways uh to kind of fit together that's right But in the Epic of Gilgamesh, when they work together, they do accomplish a lot of things. But the message in that is that their arrogance leads them to making a number of mistakes, which hurt them. And the idea of seeking wisdom through failures, right? And in this, that kind of is the case. But it's more like 
they didn't see the value in each other, and it wasn't until their secrets came out to each other that they were say, able to see that. Yeah, yeah, yes. they both. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Like they, their kind of downfall was yeah, they didn't totally trust one another with their secrets. It yes. was the idea that I have to do this by myself that right. kept them from becoming perfect together. Right, that's a great point because. As we meet both characters and as both characters meet each other, they are both hiding not only their true purposes, but something about themselves. Raju is hiding the fact that he is basically a military police officer and Beam is disguised as a Muslim. Yeah. Yes. And he is I was about not, to say. Yeah, he's not forthright about being from his tribe and everything. He's wearing a different garb and he has like a prayer rope and everything. He doesn't come out and say, like, in the movie, like, oh, I am a Muslim pilgrim or whatever. His clothes indicate to the audience that he is supposed to be in the disguise of a member of that religion. Right. I also loved the way that it showed a Hindu and a Muslim in India being best friends. Because there have been a lot of tensions with that throughout, like, all history. Yeah. And, of course, Beam is not actually a Muslim. But yeah. Well, I don't know what the prayer rope actually represents, which spirituality that is. But he says he's not actually a Muslim. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess we assumed it had something to do with that. But yeah, the fact that Raju is not prejudiced against who he thinks is Akhtar at yeah. the time, that's the name that Beam is using at the beginning of the movie, says something about Raju. I also think it's so funny in an ironic way the colonizers are Christian, right? They mention it a little bit. So it's funny that th they're the ones oppressing the Hindu and Muslim groups in this region. Because those are both religions that have proud warrior figures. <laughs> and then the Christians are supposed to be like the most inclusive pacifists. I just think there's a great irony in there. Well, for a lot of history, they definitely were not that. They weren't? <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about England. <laughs> yeah. I just like that the villains of this movie are the English. Yeah. So we're kind of moving into one of the other themes. That's a major thread throughout the whole film, which is that of uh, colonialism versus community. Yeah. So there are many elements that we can talk about that fit into each kind of polar opposite that we have here. <laughs> and um, with colonialism, what they show in the movie is like, it's more, it's all about subjugation and violence. And it is. Very violent. Yes. And subjugated. Yes. And the community aspects of the film are more about showing solidarity with one another and friendship. Kind of compassion as well. Right. And a shared identity. Right. Amongst the people of India, right? Because this is a region where people came from a lot of different, we'll just call them tribal heritages. But they share a mythology, they share a lot of cultural values, and they were, the English used their differences against each other. And there was some infighting that led to things like, that's why Raju is like, kind of able to take on this role as a military member, 
and he oppresses people of other groups and it's you know really hard to watch in the movie we understand later on that he's doing it for a specific reason but they are pulling on this attempt that the english made and succeeded at by dividing people Mm -hmm. and kind of having you know not only the military strength of like soldiers and weapons but also in dividing these communities against each other And so it's very much an important story because the two characters are based on two real-life people from different regions, and bringing them together as the heroes of this story is also culturally significant in India, where these different ethnic groups came together and merged and fought against the oppression that they were facing. So, I mean, I think it's really awesome that, you know, that is very much an intentional message of this movie is that people who are able to unite and come together despite small differences can rise up against larger oppression. And one of the weapons that the colonizers use is this act of self-policing. Right. Which they employ Indian-born people to help subjugate other Indians. And this is a type of violence because it causes people to not to trust one another. Right. And it divides them like you were talking about. And this is part of the reason why Raju and Beam, even though they are very close friends, cannot trust each other with each other's secrets. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. And one of some of the other weapons they use are guns. Uh, yes. Literal weapons, but also a type of social violence where they other the Indian people to the extent where they're completely dehumanized in the eyes of the English. They're kind of seen as animals or monsters or something. And the language that the English use against the Indians in this movie is horrendous. We are seeing a real, I think, very believable representation of colonial beliefs about non-white people right and they are completely willing to sacrifice any of the indian people because they don't see them as fellow humans and it's to maintain their own control and power yeah there is a recurring message in this movie that the english say which is basically that it is not worth a bullet to kill an indian person and it's very disturbing and it's repeated throughout the movie and it comes back at the end when Raju and Beam use a rifle to kill the governor. Yeah, they invert the message to be more empowering to the Indian people and say, if this bullet it doesn't find its true value in killing an Indian person, it can only find its true value when you kill an Englishman with Right. <laughs> it's brutal. I mean, the, yeah. the story is one of oppression and... Resistance. And resistance, yeah. And the, like you said, like the tools of social violence and physical violence are used against the Indians and were used in this historical period that this movie takes place in. It is kind of a cathartic moment when Raju and Beam turn that on the governor. Yeah. I would also like to shout out it's great when a movie humanizes the villains and it's like, oh, you know, we're all just people. Even those that have gone astray, we're all human, right? 
And so, like, it's sad whenever someone is killed or has gone so far astray that we can see them as villainous because they have loved ones and they could be our loved ones, right? This movie doesn't do it. It's like, yeah, fuck them. They're dead. She's wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah, she had it coming. Yeah, that's right. The governor's wife wanted to use a basically a barbed wire whip on Beam. And then at the end of the movie, she dies wrapped in barbed wire. Okay, so all of the English characters that are portrayed as antagonists are portrayed in a way to where they're almost like demonic. Right. It is like... I would say cartoonish levels of racism if I was not a person who existed in this world who has seen that level of racism used in real life. And historically. Exactly. Like currently and historically, I guess that's what I was getting at. In Um, the past and also very much today, particularly on the internet and at family dinner tables around the country and the world. (laughs) Too real. I saw a post online today that both showed me that I'm sheltered and how fortunate we are today, I suppose. But it was a post that someone had a letter stuck to their door and the letter was so racist. I couldn't believe that anyone from any time period would write it. And the first line of it is, hello, I am not racist, but. And I'm just like, The ultimate way to say, yes, I'm actually racist. Yeah. Like, if you asked me to construct a racist sentence, it would not be as racist as the letter. (laughs) If you tried. (laughs) If I tried. That is awful. That's dark. Well, so, I mean, I think what we're really alluding to here is that colonialism is very much, in a lot of ways, the ultimate form of class struggle. Yes. And it exists in overt, violent ways. and subtle in terms of how uh, the mind can be colonized. Right. And this movie is not saying all English people are bad. Me, Jamie, I might say that. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) No, but there's the character of Jenny, Beam's love interest, who is appalled by the racism of her aunt and uncle, who wants to fight back against it, but has no tools to do so. She is Basically, a, a noble woman who has very little power when it comes to actually enacting any change. She yells at the soldiers for treating Beam inhumanly and inhumanely, but they just kind of scoff at her. Well, they push back a little bit, but because of who she is, she's the niece of the governor. They kind of have to listen to her, but they only basically do as she asks in the moment And they go back to whatever they're doing when she's not there. And that's one thing. She is a person of power and she feels helpless, right? Yes. Everyone in this just keeps feeling helpless. And that's why it's portrayed as so heroic what the main characters do. Because it's an impossible task. Yes. Like going out to slay a giant monster, doing something that's just inhuman, right? Cut off the head of the English dragon. Yeah, exactly. Just stuff like that. And, uh... (laughs) We see that in one scene where Raju is undercover in, like, a revolutionary meeting. Where the revolutionaries are saying, hey, if we have all these revolutionary ideas, we can tell them to our kids and maybe they can revolt against the British. Right. They're not like, let's all try our best to take care of it. It's, it's kind of hopeless, right? Yeah. 
No one thinks they can affect it. And uh, Raju is undercover, and but he he asks a question that is sort of like fishing to find a victim, right? Right. To sacrifice. But he, it's also kind of a genuine question that he wants to have answered. He's like, why don't you just kill the governor? Yeah. Right? Part of him definitely hopes they'll be down for that. But they retort back like, oh, yeah, and why don't we just go to England and kill King George, too, right? Yeah, let's do it. And the sarcasm there is basically just like, oh, you've told us to do something impossible. Yeah, sure, buddy. And uh, that's why it's so epic that just these two guys can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's when they're working together that they're able to make it happen. I want to come back to that. But before we talk more about the ways that people can combat oppression through community and solidarity, I want to touch upon the cost of occupation. Okay. Because that's kind of a thread that runs throughout the movie, too. And it's a part of the colonialism theme. Right. So besides the lack of autonomy and sovereignty to govern themselves... The cost of occupation for the Indian people is also played out in the mind through this feeling of inferiority to the English or like they have to supplicate themselves in front of them to appease their oppressors. This is a common tactic in all forms of oppression. Right. This is how kings and queens maintain power by making... Other people, their subjects. That's right. There's a scene in the movie where Beam is going to be hung publicly, and Raju says to the governor, like, oh, no, that'll make him a martyr. We should do it privately on the banks of this river. I have the location picked out. Right. And the governor says, like, ah, very good, boy. You're learning the ways of the empire. Oof. Which you're like, oh, that's the worst compliment. Yeah. And, and... In the scene before that, when they're trying to publicly humiliate him, they want him to kneel. They want him to supplicate himself. Which he doesn't. Yeah. That's right. He never kneels to them. And so that can cause a lot of damage to people's morale to resist against their oppressors because it can cause despair, basically hopelessness. Right. Um, And that's what they're counting on. Yes, exactly. That's one of the tools of, of oppression. And what kind of goes along with that is indoctrination, like with the Indian soldiers that are a part of the army. That kind of goes along with the self-policing aspect. They're indoctrinated to think that the ways of their homeland are wrong and the ways of the colonizers are correct and that they should be fighting to help their oppressors. And that's a form of social violence as well. And it's not only destroying their trust in each other for the Indian people, but also their trust in their own culture and way of life. Yeah, and destroying their feeling that they can do anything to resist the English. Right. All they needed was to send their two best superheroes, and the problem would have been solved, right? Yeah. Well, in the movie, though, they're like pillars of hope that change is possible. That's right. In a way, it's interesting that you say that because that scene I mentioned earlier when there's the resistance meeting and they're talking about teaching their kids about revolution so they can lead the next phase of it. That's exactly what happened in Raju's backstory. 
Right. With yeah. his father, how he was teaching that village of people how to resist and how to defend themselves. And at the end, Raju was the last person who could really do that. And he's the one who set out. Well, that's not actually true. Everyone else in the village was trained to be soldiers like Raju. Right. But in the end, they've lost a number of people when the British attacked them and they lost their village. And when they resettled, Raju was the only one who still had the hope and the nerve to go out and do it again. And so they had the hope that he would succeed. And part of their problem they saw was that they didn't have the weapons necessary to defend themselves. Right. With an equal force. Right. That the English were providing against them. Right. Um, or raising against them. So Raju and Beam have different ways of maintaining this hope for a better future for their people. Beam is more like the beating heart of the Indian people. He's like the passion. The drive. And the drive. And Raju is kind of like the strong arm, which yes. he has strong arms later Literally, on. Literally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After their power up. Yeah. He swings a motorcycle around like a weapon. It's true. <laughs> There's a guy charging toward him on a motorcycle and Beam stands to the side and uses his hand to catch and stop right. the motorcycle. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is the best kind of wish fulfillment and power fantasy for an oppressed people, right? A, a, a culture that was historically horrendously mistreated by colonial powers and this is an amazing visual representation of like a better version of history i mean this is like inglorious bastards like this is a rewriting of history in a way that makes the audience feel powerful by seeing it yeah and feel inspired or to feel better about the way that things, not not feel better about the way things played out in history, but to like see a better version of how history played out. Yeah, and Raju sees the value of Beam's way of maintaining hope and his source of strength, which is in his community and the community of people around him that help him in Delhi. He sees that passion as being stronger than weapons. Right. Because like we were saying in the public torture scene, that heart and inner passion is what inspired the people to just rise up even though they didn't have any weapons. And so that's what really got to him. Yes. Yeah, I like how they both learn a lot from each other. This is so different from a lot of Western action movies where it's one person who has a singular vision and maybe a side character will inspire them in some way, but they never really change course. But both these characters change to adapt to each other. They learn from each other and they grow because of their relationship to one another. And it's wonderful. Yeah. And um, in the end, both of their strengths lie in community to some extent. Absolutely. And... We see that as a form of resistance to colonialism or a response to it, an alternate path that can lead to more of a 
nurturing kind of culture uh, rather than a violent one. And what we see is like these really tight bonds of friendship and people lifting each other up, providing food. It can be as simple as somebody giving food to somebody else and sheltering them. Right. Sometimes it includes lying to the people that would mean you harm. Right. And it is okay to lie to people or withhold information from authority that is being used unjustly against you. Yes. I support that. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's really a, a wonderful capstone to this movie that the song at the end of the film is about the unity of the different regional groups in India mm -hmm. and how coming together makes all of them stronger and makes them able to resist when injustice is being heaped upon them. And I was not familiar personally with the historical figures that they were highlighting that came from each region that were like important real historical figures that helped towards Indian liberation of some type. Right. In the song, they name the region and they show a historical figure who was instrumental to a resistance against colonialism. Yeah. But it was clear that they were all important figures that were kind of inspiration for a story like this. And they wanted to highlight, it seemed, through the song, the real people that worked to rebuild the Indian culture and identity and fight against oppression. Yeah, I mean, I think that the real summation for this whole movie is fight against fascism. Yeah. Yeah. In, in all of its forms. And never give in when somebody is trying to oppress you. And let's hope it doesn't get to the point in this movie. That it got to. Yeah. Again. Nip that shit in the bud. Yeah. Let's let's cut out that cancer before it uh, gets any worse. Yes. No parallels to anything happening in the real world today, of course. Right. Oh, wait, no. Fight for abortion rights, everybody. Right. Abortion and trans rights are human rights. They are. All right. Well, on that note, I think we can probably head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature of the film. Have fun picking that, guys. <laughs> Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 mythical bows? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to have my epic moment be earlier in the film when Beam saves Raju's life. From a snake bite, right oh. before they're going to save Molly, right? And on the recovery bed that uh, Raju is in, Beam is like, oh, I'm, I gotta be honest with you, brother. I'm here to save someone from my tribe, and I'm this, not this, right? And uh, he's telling him that I'm the person you've been hunting, even though he doesn't know that. Right. And uh, Raju, you just see his eyes open wide as he's like, "You're the person I'm hunting. I uh, like. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna probably get you, even though they're friends. There's that desperation in his eyes. Yeah. And he's supposed to be paralyzed, but as Beam is leaving the room, Raju is up on his feet, barely 
reaching out to try to get him. Right. Which is so sick. And then this is part of it. Uh, when Beam crashes the truck of wild animals into oh the compound God. and they're out unleashing havoc, right? And he's just wrecking everything. The British don't stand a chance. And then Raju comes up and starts trying to arrest him in full uniform, right? And we all noticed it because it was awesome. But Beam is trying to be like, oh, come on, we're brothers, right? You're not actually helping them. You can't be. Uh, and Raju won't look him in the eye. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's so ashamed. He's He's just devastated by what he's doing by arresting Beam or trying to. And Beam keeps being like, just look me in the eye and you'll see, like, you'll realize what you're doing is a mistake and he can't do it. He Beam even tries to lift Raju's face up with by the chin. Yes. The classical, like, romantic move. Yes. Romantic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so I just love the, like... The tormented conflict within both the characters. How they don't really want to fight, but it's like it's gotta, it's gotta happen. And uh, the fight is just epic as all hell with the f- torches and the hoses and everything yeah. and the animals. They like throw jaguars at each other. <laughs> that's right. Oh my god, it's awesome. So <laughs> that scene is just uh, sorry. Some le- there's at least one listener out there who thinks I'm an idiot. They're throwing leopards at each other. <laughs> Thank you for that correction. I was not looking forward to the angry email. Yes. And uh, I just love that scene. The fact that he can't look at him, that, that was amazing. Mm. Great detail. Yeah. And uh, putting it all into consideration, uh, this is a three hour and five minute film. If you include the credits. And all of the studio intros. <laughs> <laughs> At least yeah. five. The, yeah, the five minutes is production logos. It has really great, sad, emotional stuff. Such fun scenes. Such badass scenes. It just gives you everything you want. The fan service is there. Yeah. And uh, all the characters, despite being way larger than life, they feel like human except for the villains, which is why you want to see the heroes destroy them. Right. It's like, uh, in my mind, it's a perfect piece of storytelling. It's so badass. I love it. Nice. I can't wait to watch this three-hour movie multiple more times. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Show it to your friends. I'm, I'm sure I could pick more problematic stuff out of it but i was just so swept away in its magnificence i'm gonna have to give it a 10 out of 10 amazing weapons mythical bows mythical bows 10 out of 10 it's fantastic nice all right Cass, how about your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to ten mythical bows i'm torn because i wanted to talk about the music videos that go on as like break points in between different segments of the movie, but are still important to the plot. (laughs) Those are structural dance montages. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about something that we didn't touch too much on. And that's the character Jenny. Oh, nice. It's an epic person. Yeah. She's a feature. Uh, So she's really, great (laughs) yeah i want to highlight how difficult it can actually be for people to resist 
the enculturation of the mind. Nice. She's English. She's the governor's niece. And she comes from a place that assumes in general that they're the superior people and that everybody that they are colonizing is inferior to some extent. She has every excuse to be awful due to her privilege. Yes. Yes. And and she's also a privileged person, as you say. So somebody from money. And she isn't like that at all. She has a lot of empathy for other people and sees everyone she comes across as worthy of her respect and compassion. I just don't know if people understand how difficult that actually is to resist the groupthink. <laughs> it's actually very difficult. Most people, when they are faced with something that shakes their worldview, they will either double down on it or use some kind of mental gy gymnastics to incorporate it. Rarely do people change their worldview. Not nearly often enough. What is even rarer is to not accept the worldview that you're given when you're a child. And for somebody to reach her levels of compassion, it seems like that indoctrination or that enculturation process just did not stick with her. And there was something about her that resisted it. And um, I think that shows a, a strength of will and a resilience of spirit that is worthy of this film. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Yeah. I like that, and not that she would be in a Tollywood movie or an Indian-produced movie, but I like that she's not like a white savior character. She's not instrumental in anything. She's an important side character. She wants to resist, but she doesn't really have the tools for it. So she yeah. just is supportive of Beam, and yeah. that's nice. She's his friend. She helps him keep his hope alive. Yeah. And... That is an important part of who he is. Yeah. And so it helps him see that maybe not everyone is bad, you know? And uh, it was, I think it was important to show that. As far as the whole film goes, I really enjoyed it. I didn't quite know what to expect going into it. Um, I don't think any of us did. I was very concerned about how long it was and my stamina for being able to watch it. But like I said, I was engaged the whole time. It was exciting and interesting, well-produced. And like Jack said, there's some aspects of it that we could critique, not only in terms of subject matter, but also aesthetically. But I don't necessarily feel qualified to do so because I'm not very knowledgeable about movies that come from these production companies. So... But as far as my experience as a first-time viewer of Bollywood or Tollywood movies, I thought it was amazing and a lot of fun. Agreed. And it had very heartfelt messages in it. I, I was heartwarmed and teary-eyed and inspired as well. So I think because of that, I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 mythic bows as well. Very nice. But what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and you're rating out of 1 to 10 Mythic Bows. Yeah. Clue us in on your thoughts. Well, I'm glad you asked. My epic moment is going to have to be 
the friendship montage between Raju and Beam. I love this sequence. It's right after the bridge rescue. And just all of a sudden, we are treated to this amazing, very sudden montage of these two becoming best friends. They are hanging out. They go, it seems like, on a vacation together, like into the countryside. They're working out together. They go around. They're eating together. They're sharing meals with some of their family and they're like eating out of this big communal bowl and having this amazing looking food with Nan that I really wanted to be there for. I was blown away by this whole sequence. I love how it tells this really good story. You know, this is a really long film. So we expedite this moment of seeing them bonding because we're going to go through these ebbs and flows of their relationship coming apart and stitching back together through the character arcs. So it's okay to kind of rush this scene of like, okay, they became really good buds. Then it makes you interested. Like, okay, well then what's going to happen? Because you have this narrative running through the song about how they're best friends, but will they be able to weather the storm of the truth coming out about who each of them is? And I thought it was really good storytelling. And I just loved this scene. And I was so excited. I had a smile plastered on my face for that whole moment. It was awesome. So that is my epic moment. As far as the rating goes, I would usually knock a point off for a three-hour movie. Because I, as longtime listeners will know very well, am a big fan of the 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. Huge fan mm-hmm. of the 90-minute movie. Love a good 90-minuter. three hours is a lot but this movie does it so well and as i research other indian productions i see that most movies clock in at about two and a half or more hours for this type of action big set piece movie so i'm imagining that it is something of an event for going out to the theater right? right going to the cinema seeing a big movie Telling a big mythical story. And also, again, like, this is a mythological story. This is more like a play in a lot of ways. So the longer runtime feels justified. And like you've both said, it's just an amazing film. It is so much fun. I could get into some other tiny little quibbles, but it's just not worth it. The movie's too fucking good. This is a 10 out of 10 mythical bows. It is a blast. The action sequences are amazing. The melodrama is like, I feel perfect for the movie and for the headspace I was at while watching it. I had a great time and I kept just being so excited to see where they would go. And also at the end of the movie, when they kill the governor and the blood splashes on the big banner that says the sun never sets on the English empire. Oh, of course. I love that part. That was great. Put that on your beans and toast and smoke it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it's a perfect 30 out of 30 movie for us. Awesome. Yes. What a rare treat, I think. Maybe not as rare as I think. <laughs> but hey, that'll do it for us here on another episode of Swords and Satire. Next week, we'll be talking about episode seven of The Wheel of Time. But until then, if you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep up with the show, check out our memes, and get in touch with us if you want to let us know what you thought about RRR. And if you loved the show, 
and us, and you want to support us in a deeper way, (laughs) (laughs) you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become a patron of the show. You'd be supporting us and you would get extra episodes and you'd be able to vote on a movie each month. Other cool stuff, too. That's right. That's right. But if you don't have a few extra bucks to send over toward your favorite fantasy movie podcasters, <laughs> another great way to support the show is to share it with your friends and family. Because what's a better way to enjoy some of your favorite content than doing it with some of your favorite people? That's called family style podcasting. That's right. You can watch the movies with them and do pull-ups while you're watching the movie. That's right. Or... You can do some arts and crafts, make some superhero costumes, and listen to our podcast in the background while you all do that. Doesn't that sound fun? No, they should pay very close attention to every word we say. That's right. Or or do the thing you said. Yeah, I don't know. I think Jack's idea sounds pretty hype. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!